as a child, um, I really felt like I had a good grasp because of the teaching that I was receiving in my home and at our church uh, on a lot of the characteristics of God, including, you know, his sovereignty, his goodness, his love, um, his mercy, those type of things. Um, and yet what I've realized through the years is that God often brings, brings people into your life to kind of reveal to you a different um, characteristic or aspect of who he is. And so um, in middle school, I remember this young intern and his awesome wife uh, coming and just starting to pour into us kids. And I saw a totally different aspect of who the Lord is through him. Uh, he showed me that God is fun and adventurous and he wants to be my friend. And um, it changed my life forever, truly. And so today I am so excited to have Dr. Rob Foltz in the room with us because he not only has poured into me throughout the years, um, I'm seeing God just continuing to use him in his ministry. He and Dana, they've raised two incredible boys. They're not boys anymore. They're giant men. Um, but I'm just, I'm so honored. Anytime I get to be in the room with him, he's full of wisdom, but he's also um, full of adventure. And I learned very quickly when I was around him, when they invited us into their life, that you better buckle up. Jesus is in the driver's seat, but you better buckle up. He's not here to settle or, or do anything, you know, mainstream, whatever. He's, he's really just ready to see God move, however that might be today. And so I want to encourage you guys to lean in. He's going to share with us today. He's, our, um, he's actually the campus pastor at Lee University, and he just recently became Dr. Rob Fultz. So would you guys join me as we honor Rob as he comes to the stage? Thank you, girl. Love you, girl. Love you. Well, good morning, Public Church. It is so good to be back with you. We, uh, Dane and I love Public Church. You know, there's, I'm going to, ooh, sorry, Todd. I'd like it a little closer. Uh, so Dane and I love Public Church. I think part of the reason why we love it is just literally around the corner from my house. Uh, Todd and I are kind of next door neighbors. We live across the road from each other. But uh, anyway, so it, it is really good to be with you. And I'm sort of noticing a pattern with Todd when he leaves town. Okay, I have a confession to make, right? No, whenever he sees us for the first time, he's going to get really nervous, which I like. Um, because as senior pastor for many years, I understand when people say they have a confession, you just don't know what's coming. So, uh, you know, this is, this is sort of a, a, and I'm seeing a pattern with Todd, and I've got a confession. So this morning I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about all the fun stuff that I could say, or, you know, the intro, the welcome, and... You know, there for a little bit, I actually felt pretty honored that the last several times that Todd has asked me to speak at public, he left. And I was like, you know, what a friend um, that would trust me with his flock while he's out of town. And, um, you know, that, that was a big honor for me. But then I feel like since we're in Acts, you know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and his work and, you know, how he moves in our lives. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord gave me a revelation this morning. This is true. Todd asks me to speak when he's gone because he knows when I'm done and he comes back. You guys will be like, oh, Todd, you're the best pastor I've ever had in my entire life. Please don't ever leave again, Todd. Todd, we love you. Todd, here's a big fat pay raise, Todd. We love you, Todd. Todd, here's a lottery ticket, a winning lottery ticket that you didn't even have to buy, Todd. Please, Todd, don't ever leave us alone with him again. And so my feelings of like, man, what an honor have turned into, 
bro, I'm going to help you out. Okay, so that's what we're doing this morning. But it is, no, it is great to be with you. We love public church. We love this family. I love Kristen and Corey and their whole family, uh, Todd and Whitney and their whole family. It's been a, it's been a real joy for us to to build this incredible friendship. So we're in this series called Now What? And I'm going to dive into Acts chapter 2. Todd actually next week is going to come back and finish up his talk from Acts chapter 2. And so I'm kind of like a bad halftime show somewhere in the middle, right? And so, but we're in this series called Now What? It's these events that happened after the resurrection, which is a great perspective for us to have because we are actually on the other side of of that resurrection, which is a beautiful thing. And so last week, which is also a little bit ironic, okay, for those of you who don't know me, I have ADD really bad. So if I just go somewhere, just roll. I'll come back, but just roll. So uh, last week, Todd uh, really focused in on this question of, you know, is this real? Like, is is this real? And he gave four really good, incredible points about really understanding, at least a, a basis for understanding, how the Holy Spirit moves in and through our lives in the world. And these were just four really good criteria for us to measure or to, to assess the work of the Spirit in the world, right? He gave those four characteristics, and they were, they were great. And I'm not going to repeat those. You can go back and watch last week's message. But is it real? Like, is this real? Is this something that we can trust, something that we can depend on. Now, in Scripture, we have, because of Scripture, we have this incredible opportunity to look both backwards and forwards. You see, the disciples actually didn't have that privilege. And so when we get, you know, anybody give the side eye to Thomas every once in a while in the Bible, like doubting Thomas, I mean, yeah, come on, right? Like, bro, you walked with Jesus, you know? And what was Judas's problem? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, we give the side eye to these folks in Scripture all the time. The disciples, like, Peter, what is up with you? Like, what you, we do. And it's somewhat fair, and it's somewhat okay, but we have to also understand they were not given the same perspective that we were, right? They didn't have both a backwards and a forwards-looking perspective on what God was doing in the moment. They had somewhat of a revelation, but we know they didn't get the revelation because even in the Garden Gethsemane, they were sleeping. Like, I mean, Jesus is about ready to die and he's in there and he's praying to the point of sweating great drops of blood. And they're like, hey, bro, just wake me up when you're done praying, okay? I mean, it's, it, it's, it's so they didn't really get the perspective that we have. And so that's not a really a critical statement, but the beautiful thing about what we have through the word of God, through scripture especially when it comes to things like the movement of the Holy Spirit, the, the actions of Acts chapter 2, and all of the events that transpired there. What we have is both a forward-looking and a backward-looking perspective that help give us a tremendous context for what God is doing in the world and on the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Spirit of God is moving in our midst. He is moving, and we get to participate with Him in that, in that work, right? So he invites us into that work with him and we get to kind of frame it with, with different realities and different perspectives because God gives us that in scripture. So today I'm gonna to focus a little bit on one of those perspectives, but the point is there's two really dynamic realities that are happening in Acts chapter two, right? So the, the now what question, you know, we have to figure out is what's going on in Acts chapter two the now what, the, the things that come after, which we're walking through right now, 
But also we get a little bit of a glimpse before because there's two realities happening, right? The prophecy of Joel 2 has come to life in Acts chapter 2. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing and it's super high. It's super encouraging. But then at the same time, we, we can jump over to Paul's writing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through, through 9, 1 through 10, list literally 19 negatives, 19 I mean, it's not a short list. You know, Paul kind of goes off a little bit on, on all of the negative things that also are happening when? In the last days, right? It's, it's in the last days. And so it would seem like there's some kind of conflict or there's some kind of discrepancy between the great Joel prophecy and the Acts of, uh, of Acts chapter 2 and this other narrative that we're getting about all of these other things that are happening. And they're all, all 19 of them are centered on one thing, self-centeredness, right? Self-centeredness. And so you can jump over at some point and look at that because that was not even in my notes. But there you go. That's, that's what you get. So the point is, we get this unique perspective, right? These are, these are not in conflict. We have a glimpse uh, in our talk today, and I want to talk about this because it is post-resurrection, but it's pre-Acts chapter 2, okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this passage. It's a f- very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 28, but it's not about being missionaries. Now, I know one of, one of uh, uh, Todd's points last week was, that it would be a, a national or a, or a global sort of uh, impact that the Holy Spirit has on the earth, right? And that's true. And a lot of times we go to Matthew chapter 28 as a reference point for missions work. And it is that, right? But we, that's like the quintessential missionary sort of um, a conversation to have. It's called the Great Commission, right? So as Jesus followers, this is like one of the last commands that we have from Christ, right? It's in red letters, and so it's really, really important, you know, if your Bible has those red letters. But as Jesus followers, we get this unique perspective on the Great Commission, and I want to point out a couple things in the Great Commission that actually tie into the events of Acts chapter 2, okay? Because all of this is post-Easter. And in fact, at the point or the time that this Great Commission was given in Matthew chapter 28 was probably about now. Like it's, you know, shortly after the resurrection, but before the ascension and before Acts chapter 2 and the, you know, the disciples in Jerusalem, the 120 in the upper room. Like it's, it's in the chaos of the resurrection that we get the Great Commission. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And we're going to tie all of this in. And so here we go. I'm going to read this and then we'll say a quick prayer. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And here's the title of our message today. But some doubted. Verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, we thank you for this glorious day. May our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds be in tune with the work of the Holy Spirit today. May we be encouraged and empowered by the Holy Spirit. May he speak to us and lead us in all truth and all righteousness And God, may today we be changed, transformed by that great work that he does inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 
Consider everything that has happened to this point. Everything that's happened. We have the disciples. We have Jesus. You know, he's born in a manger. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. We love Christmas. We do it well, right? So Jesus is born in manger. Angels come. The shepherds come. And there's some people who bring some gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which as much as I've read the Bible, like, why gold, frankincense, and myrrh? And believe it or not, there's a whole theological meaning. I don't have time to get in that. But the point is, all of these things happen. Jesus grows up. He goes off in Jerusalem. He's like, yo, peace out, mom and dad. I'm going to be teaching in the temple for a couple days. So he goes and does that. He gets in trouble, gets grounded. It's all good. And so he comes back, and now he's age 30. Like, he sets off. He goes into the wilderness after the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit descends on him when John baptizes him in the river. And it says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The spirit of God descends on him. Jesus goes off into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Satan himself, the, the, the great evil one, that serpent, Satan himself shows up in Jesus' face and he tempts them, right? And we know the story. Jesus defeats the enemy. He defeats Satan because he says it is written and he does this three times. And so he launches out into his public ministry and the disciples are with him and there's miracles and there's crazy things that happens with pigs and they run off the cliffs. I mean, it is, it is just wild. It's just crazy. The stuff that's happened. And then we get to Easter, right? We get to Easter and Jesus is hung on a cross. This is just a couple weeks ago, right? This is this is, this is fresh, right? He just died. Like he was, he was hung on a cross. He was tortured. He was crucified, you know? And, and there in the last gasp of his breath, he brings somebody with him. How that dude got into heaven, I have no idea, but it gives me a lot of hope, right? Because I am jacked up and maybe you are too. I don't know, but there's a chance. We have a chance, right? Because of Jesus, right? So, so he, he dies on the cross he goes to the grave, he's wrapped up and all of this stuff. And three days later, he comes back to life. And he's walking around in the city and he's revealing himself to people, right? This is what is happening in this scene. And then we get to Matthew chapter 28. And there's a couple really cool points here that we need to consider because in all of this, we have to imagine the chaos of the moment of the now what? Right? The disciples were really, really lost when Jesus died. I mean, after he died, they, they fled. Like, they didn't know what to do. And in fact, the last time I was here, I think I preached about a guy who fled the garden naked. I mean, it's, it's wild. Right? So Jesus is resurrected. He dies. The disciples are lost. But now that he's resurrected, they're just kind of confused. Like, they're sort of excited, but they don't know whether to believe it or not, and there's a lot going on. And so in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the chaos of, of Easter and what happens after Easter, the now what question, why did some doubt, but some doubted? And so let's talk about this for a second. What we know is this. They obeyed what he said, right? It clearly says in Scripture, they went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Right, So they obeyed what he said. The second thing is, when they saw him, they worshiped him. So they weren't really confused about his identity. They, 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 they trusted him. They had walked with him. They, they sort of believed that he would come back to life again, but maybe, maybe not. Like, I don't know. But they went to the place where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, 
They worshiped him, but then we're stuck with these three words, and I keep asking myself, why would Matthew put these words right there in the middle of this amazing conversation, but some doubted, right? But some doubted. We see this in Acts chapter 2 as well, remember? Hey, we're not drunk like you think. I mean, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Todd talked about this last week, and I think I heard him say something along the lines of, maybe that's acceptable for some people? I don't know, like in a culture or something. But, but they're saying, hey, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk like you think. So doubt is not an unusual occurrence when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. We even doubt ourselves sometimes when, when the Spirit of God is speaking to us. We say, whoa, I don't even know. Was that the Lord? Was, was that Jesus? Was that the Holy Spirit speaking in my life? Right? So, so Todd talked about how do we know and all these things. And so we're stuck with these words right in the middle of this chaotic situation, but some doubted. And so they, they obeyed him and they worshiped him. And so what we don't really have is a Jesus problem. This is not a Jesus problem. This is an us problem. And it doesn't even matter how much you've experienced in your journey with Jesus. There will be occasions, there will be times where you doubt the spirit of God's voice in your life. These dudes saw it firsthand, up close, face to face, they're like, yo, that leopard just got healed. This guy's foot just grow back. He, he spit in his face. I don't agree with the method, but the dude's eyes were open. Like, I mean, they saw all of this stuff, and yet some doubted. Yet some doubted. So we need to give ourselves the permission and the grace to wrestle through this doubt when the Spirit of God speaks to us because he is always speaking. He's always calling us unto Jesus. So Jesus, seeing and knowing and sensing their doubt, gathers them together like a quarterback. You know, it's, it's a, you're in the Super Bowl, right? And it's the last play of the game. The only shot you have left is a Hail Mary. And it's the, there's like two seconds left on the clock. And you're getting ready to, to, to do this play to win the Super Bowl. You're down some points. It doesn't look good. And the quarterback gets in the huddle and he's like, hey, guys, listen. I know the play hasn't happened yet, but I want you to know I saw the end of this game and we won, right? And it's that kind of confidence that Jesus gives the disciples when he steps into this moment and he gathers them together and he says, hey, listen, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, right? So he starts off on these statements. And here's where I want us to spend some time this morning because Jesus went all in on his disciples making four significant all-in statements for us to reflect on when we have doubts about the Holy Spirit, about how he moves, about how he speaks to us. So we're going to talk about these all-in statements. Number one, he says all authority, right? So what is this about? This is about trust. It's about dependency. It's about surrender. It's about worship. It's about the source of life that we have through Christ, right? He is all of these things. And so Philippians 2 uh, verses 9 through 11 says this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and ev under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he says, I have all authority. I have all authority. Now, believe it or not, Jesus in this moment was not intimidated by their doubt. 
And in the moment in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came and descended, and it's Peter and the rest of the disciples, and they're there, and people are questioning what's, one, what's going on, in that moment, the Holy Spirit was not intimidated by the doubt of the people around them. Peter speaks with boldness, and we know that 3,000 people were saved that day, and so at least 3,000, right? So we, we see that because Jesus has all authority. Now, what does all authority mean? That means he is the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. And whether or not we feel like we're hearing the Holy Spirit doesn't change the reality of who he is, his deity or his power, his authority over heaven and earth and everything in between. So we can have great confidence that even when we doubt, because he has all authority, we can trust that he sees us, he knows us, he loves us, and he wants to speak and to move into our lives. Not because we get it all right, but because he is all right. He is all sovereign. And when he has all authority, he can, he's not intimidated by your doubt or other people's doubt about what the spirit of God is saying in your life. He just loves us and cares for us, right? So I know some of us are probably either new, maybe some of us in here don't even follow Jesus and you're wondering, well, what does that sound like? Does he sound like Kermit the Frog? Does he sound like, you know, James Earl Jones or Darth Vader? Like, what is he, what does the voice of God sound like? Great question. I don't actually know audibly what the voice of God sounds like. Never heard it. But inside, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit is moving and speaking in us, there's this still small voice. And Todd talked about this last week as well. There's this still small voice that gives us a peace and a comfort and a confidence and an understanding that first and foremost, he has all authority and therefore we can trust the voice, right? We can trust the voice. The second thing he says is go to all nations. Right now, what is this about? This is about grace. It's about humility. It's about compassion, right? So I'm not gonna spend a ton of time here because we talked about this a little bit last week in our talk. But there is no move of God that doesn't include the world. And the reason is because every individual on earth, every person, the good ones, the bad ones, the really pretty ones, the really not so pretty ones, the short ones like me, the tall ones like my boys, right? I mean, Everybody in between, every color of skin, every nation, every person on earth is first and foremost created in the image of God. And they have value and they have worth and they have purpose. Now, whether or not people live that out is a different story. That's a whole different conversation. But it doesn't change the nature of God's authority, God's sovereign design, and the call for us to take his goodness and his grace and the gospel to all nations, right? So he calls us to all nations, which requires grace. It requires humility and compassion. Anybody seen the TV series, The Chosen, right? Okay, if you have, great. If you haven't, I encourage you to watch it. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good TV series. But there's a great scene in there. I love this scene, and it's two brothers, James and John. It's season one. You know, Jesus is calling the disciples. They're trying to figure things out. They think they're all cool and everything because they got this special rabbi and whatever. And so James and John are following Jesus, and they're going to a place where they don't want to go, which is Samaria, and a place where they're not welcome, which is Samaria. The Samaritans and the Jews had a very, very difficult relationship 
right? And a lot of it was based on heritage. A lot of it was based on their family tree, on their, on their, on their race, right? I mean, because they were, they were a mixed race of people, right? So the Samaritan people were not liked well by the Jews. In fact, they kind of hated each other. Even though they sort of worshiped the same God and everything, it was just, it's kind of weird. It sounds like church today. Oh, ouch. Okay, that was, that was unfair, all right? Right, you know, we can't be friends with, you know, other people. Never mind. Okay, I'm going to stay off of that one. So in this scene, James and John, they're the two brothers, right? They're there, and it, this, is, this is, again, this is creative license. This is not in the Bible, so just, just hang with me for a second. And so they're, they're standing there, and Jesus and James and John are standing there, and there's some Samaritans. They come down the road, and Jesus being Jesus is like, Shalom, you know, how you doing today, you know? And then, you know, and the Samaritans are like, well, Shalom, you, and they throw rocks at them, and James and John get really angry. They're like, Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven and melt their faces off, and like, let's destroy Samaria. These people are terrible. And he's like, what is your deal, right? Who do you think you are? And in this whole, in this whole um, episode, it's about teaching James and John the humility of loving other nations. And it's kind of this comical moment where after they sort of resolve it and Jesus is like, you're really going to call down fire from heaven and like burn these people up? And he's like, well, when you say it that way, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, but he calls us to all nations, right? And so because he is sovereign, because everyone is created in the image of God, the spirit of God calls us to each other. He, he calls us to be present in each other's pain. He calls us to be present in each other's uh, uh, good days and bad days and the realities that come with that. And so he calls us to all nations. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so a work of the spirit that we see in Acts chapter two is present in this great commission statement that happened before Acts chapter 2. Jesus is preaching the same message. It is not his will that any should perish. He calls us to all nations. This is a marker of the move of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is this, all things. This is about understanding. This is about wisdom. This is about growth. This is about spiritual maturity. He calls us to all things, to understand all things. The Spirit will teach us all things. He will show us all things in truth and in righteousness. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now, because Jesus is all has all authority. And because he calls us to all nations, we get to this point where we need to be taught or instructed or discipled in all things so that we can remember who the Lord is in the midst of it. Because it's really, God bless you. Because it's really, that's on the video. Amen. That wasn't me. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. It's a good thing we know each other, right? Amen. God bless you. I'm sorry, you sneeze, and I've got ADD. I can't help myself. Anyway, so <laughs> all, right, he, he, we need to remember all things that the Spirit of God teaches us because it's real easy for us to get into our flesh in moments. So what does that mean, to get into our flesh? That's a Christian word. It means we act out of our natural emotional responses. 
Like, like if you're driving down the, the interstate and someone cuts you off, what is your most natural response? It's not Jesus loves you. We all know that. Let's be honest, right? Let's, let's tell the truth now. We are in church, right? It's, it's so that we remember in those moments, just like James and John, where they're like, let's burn our faces off. Jesus reminds us, hey, that's not what we're here to do. So the Holy Spirit, the reason why the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh in, in Joel 2 and in Acts 2 is so that everywhere that we go and everything that we do, we can remember or model or emulate who Jesus actually is. Right, And so what is one of the, the biggest criticisms of Christians today or the church today? And, and for those of you who are in this room, you don't follow Jesus, they're like, I got a whole list. Well, I got a list too, right? I mean, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's, we don't act like Jesus acts sometimes. We don't speak like Jesus speaks. We don't serve like Jesus serves. We don't love like Jesus loves. We don't, we don't step into people's pain like Jesus steps into their pain. I mean, and so the list could go on and on and on. And this is why the Holy Spirit came, right? This is why he came so that he could teach us and instruct us in all things. And now this is not just head knowledge, right? Because the Bible says, this word says, that even the demons know the word of God, even the hell itself can quote scriptures, right? So, so it's not just cognitive wisdom and cognitive knowledge of the word of God. That's important. We should memorize verses. I do, right? We should do those things. But it's more than that. In fact, the Hebrew word for this is zakar. And what zakar means is to remember in thought and action together. They are hand in hand. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to teach us in all things, as Jesus says here in the Great Commission, what he wants from us is not only a, a cognitive, mental, psychological understanding of who God is and what he does and what he's all about, but he also wants that to translate into action so that wherever we go, and whatever we do, we become the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, that's a tall order because we are people. And we mess up things quite a bit, right? But this is the point. This is, this is really what he's after here in this passage. That we would come to remembrance all things, right? This is the whole reason, you know, that, that the Holy Spirit came. And this is the whole reason why we see uh, uh, the exiles carried away in Jeremiah 29 and other places. In the Old Testament, there's God, it said, this is what it says. God carried his people into exile because they had forgotten who he was. They had forgotten, not remembered the things of the Lord. In other words, they might have known the law, but they didn't know the author of the law. So our faith as Christians should not be lived out just with our cognitive understanding of the Bible. Our faith as followers of Jesus should be lived out hand in hand in the messiness of each other's lives. And relationships are messy. Just ask Jesus and the disciples. How many times did they argue? Who's going to be on your right and who's going to be on your left? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're fighting over position and authority. And, and, you know, Jesus, I mean, it had to be some serious eye roll moments when Jesus with the disciples was like, oh, these people, God. Why did you give me these people? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that happens. We see this happen with Moses, and he's like, Moses is arguing with God. He's like, yeah, but if you destroy them, what's that going to say about you? And God's like, fine, let's give them some commandments and let them live a little while. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? This is, this is all happening. And so 
So there's these moments in our faith because of our doubt and our insecurities and our own emotional baggage and our family origin stories, and they creep up into our journey with Jesus and our faith expression, and we forget who God is and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. This is why he needed to bring to remembrance all the things that Jesus had taught. Because even in the moment of the Great Commission, they still doubted. Some still doubted. The fourth thing is this. It says, all your days, right? I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 8 says this, be strong, courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's such a wonderful promise. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and be courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you. He will be and will be with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And so in so many ways, Jesus is echoing this Deuteronomy passage where Joshua is receiving the torch from Moses. Moses is getting ready to leave the earth, right? He's handing off the baton to Joshua. And in the same way, Jesus in this moment is handing off the baton to these disciples who are still doubting themselves. They're still doubting that he will do what he says he will do, that they can do what he says that they can do. And in the same way that, that uh, Moses is encouraging Joshua in this moment, he's like, hey, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is echoing the same thing in the Great Commission. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. All your days, I will be with you. So when it comes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, it is a confirmation that the power and the presence and the peace of God is with us always. This wasn't just about a single event that happened in the Bible. We look back and we're like, man, that was wild. That was crazy. This is about an ongoing, never-ending presence and power of God in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. He is with us all of our days. Moses tells everybody, and then Moses tells Joshua, meaning that this is both a corporate conversation as a church, as a body of believers, the Holy Spirit is with us. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are, his, we are the uh, object of his affection. He loves his church, and the Holy Spirit speaks and moves and breathes in and through his church, right? This is, this is not a pro-charismatic or an anti-charismatic conversation. This is a God conversation. This is about the Holy Spirit speaking and moving and breathing in the midst of all of us because corporately together, we are the body of Christ. We are the reflection of Jesus on earth. And then Moses speaks to Joshua personally. So in the same way that the Holy Spirit speaks and moves corporately, he also speaks to us personally, saying to us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In this moment, Jesus doesn't criticize him for the doubt. In fact, the only thing he does to address it is this. Hey, let's gather around and let me affirm for you. Let me, let me encourage you. Let me support you. Let me step into this with you. And let me tell you once again who I am. 
And any time that we have that doubt, any time that we are, we are wondering or we're curious about the work of the Spirit in our lives, Jesus, in his, in his glorious sovereignty and his power and his authority, and Jesus understanding who we are and what he's called us to do, and Jesus understanding that without each other we can't do anything, he steps into our personal situations and he says, hey, let me remind you again who is living inside of you, not what, the who of the Holy Spirit, dwelling in us, calling us, leading us in all truth and in all righteousness. And it's not just for the day, it's not just for the moment, it's for eternity. And followers of Jesus have this incredible promise that every single day of our life, just as his mercies and his grace are new every single day, so is the opportunity for us to live life led by the Holy Spirit. These are choices. Your anger on the interstate is a choice. It feels good, but it's still a choice, right? And every single day, we get the opportunity to choose to respond to the Spirit's leading and the Spirit's calling. Every single day. All the days of your life, it says. All the days of your life, always, even to the very end of the age, I will be with you. The Spirit of God is with you. You can be encouraged by that as a follower of Jesus. You don't even have to question it. The Holy Spirit is speaking and breathing and moving in your life right now. So, let's bring this all home here. Jesus has resurrected. It's post-Easter. Now what? There's a million now what questions, right? We still have now what questions 2,000 years after Easter, we're still asking good now what questions. He is among us. Jesus is just as much among us now as he was with the disciples then. He hasn't changed. His presence hasn't changed. It hasn't left us. It hasn't moved away from us. He is still fully with us. He is interceding on our behalf. In fact, the Bible says he left so that the comforter could come, but also so that he could go and be the the intermediate, intermediary. That's a big word. Be our intercessor. Let's just say that. How about we just do that, right? I need you to sneeze right now. I need a distraction. No, you're good. But he is interceding on our behalf. In other words, Jesus is praying for you right now. He's interceding on our behalf. So this is what's happening, right? And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He's charged us. He's commanded us. He's empowered us to win the earth, the whole earth. But the only thing that I'm asking you today is this. Where in your life right now? Where in this moment, where in this season, where in your relationship with Jesus, where in your journey with Jesus, do you need him right now? My question to you is this, the now what? The now what question is this, where is your doubt? Where is your doubt? Is your doubt in this grand idea that there's a loving God who actually loves me and will forgive me of all my mistakes and my sins? Is your doubt in the now what questions of life 
Where do we live? What job? How am I going to pay my student loans? Now what questions about life? Maybe you're now what questions are about calling. What is God calling me to do? Is, is God really calling me to do something crazy for him? Possibly. And what am I mean by crazy is maybe he is calling you to be a missionary. Maybe he's calling you to love your community in such a way that it literally changes your street. What is God calling you to do right now? What is your doubt in that? Because this is what I love about the work of the Holy Spirit. It has no time frame. It has no barriers or boundaries. He has no constraints about God's plans. And whether you're 13 or 93, it doesn't even matter. If there's breath in your lungs and you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is still speaking and moving in your life. Where's your doubt? And as we worship and as we pray this morning, and I know that there's a team back there for prayer, and we encourage you and invite you to do that either now or as soon as service is over. But where's your doubt? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. In the Acts chapter 2 moment, helped the disciples to know that despite their doubt, they could literally change the earth. Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in this place. God, in this incredible moment in Acts chapter 2 where not only was the church launched, but new life was launched. Literally in a moment, at least 3,000 people got saved because of the work of the Spirit and because of the obedience of the disciples that despite their doubt, despite what they didn't see and they didn't understand and even what they didn't know about what was next, about the now what questions, they responded in obedience to the moment and as a result, lives were changed for eternity. So God, we, we have no other recourse. We have no other decision to make with a now what question, but to respond in this moment and to give you our doubt. And in so doing, we pray, Father, that you would build our faith, that you would restore our hope. Maybe for the first time today, Jesus, we would find new life. And what a simple and easy prayer that is. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I give my life to you. It's literally that simple. And so, Lord, in this moment, we just respond in worship and in obedience, just like the disciples did. And we know that you're going to meet us right where we are because you have all authority. You call us to everyone who's in our grasp, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. God, that you will teach us all things because you are with us always, even to the very end of our days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.